If you are planning to attend IBC in the near future, there are two dates I want to make you aware of. One is our application deadline, December 9th, for the spring semester. The other date is for our spring preview weekend. That registration date opens December 26th. So either of those, if you want to be a part, and I hope you do, Check out our website, indianabible.college, to apply or register for Preview Weekend. Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a missions panel that happened during our missions conference at Calvary Tabernacle on a Wednesday night. Our executive vice president, Reverend Jason Gallion, is the moderator of this panel, which includes Reverend Bill Hobson, Reverend Lyndon Schalm, Reverend James Poitras, and our very own dean of the program, Reverend Robert K. Rodenbush. We trust you are going to enjoy the testimonies, the stories, and the admonitions from this experienced panel. And if you've not checked out the Calvary Tabernacle podcast, hey, what are you doing? Go over there, subscribe to that podcast. You will get a steady stream of preaching by our president and pastor, Reverend Joshua B. Carson. Check that out. And right now, let's get to this panel, wrapping up our missions conference here at IBC on the podcast. experience, a lot of passion, and a lot of anointing. Uh, This past week has been our missions conference at Indiana Bible College, and we have been blessed by the ministry thus far of these great home missionaries and missionaries from around the world. And how many could say you're thankful for what God does in calling men and women to take this gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth? Amen. (laughs) Brother Sean preached chapel, and what an amazing job that he did. Incredible missionary. He preached chapel on Tuesday, and he left a quote last night with me that has impacted me while I was there at the session. And then last night late, I I even woke up thinking about this. He said something to this effect. He said, "What, what right does someone have to hear the gospel twice when so many have yet to hear the gospel once? And ladies and gentlemen, that is the reason why we have men and women that are called to take this gospel message around the world. And how many could say, though I may never step foot in a foreign mission field, that you can say how important it is for the message to be preached to every living soul. That's the Great Commission. Amen. God has commanded us to go forth into all nations. Amen. Teaching this message that we have. How many believe that the gospel message still saves? How many believe the gospel message has the power of deliverance that can break free from sin, any chain that the enemy wraps around. How many believe that this gospel has transforming power to take someone out of the depths of despair and put their feet upon a rock to stay? So tonight we have an opportunity to hear not just theory, though theory is great, not not just a story of what God might do, but tonight we have the ability to hear and to talk to men And hear their story about what God has done. They say in in education that there's some that teach. Because they haven't experienced or have the inability to do. Well this panel behind me 
has not just lived a life and bought the t-shirt. They have the battle scars to prove it. Amen. And so tonight, Calvary, we have this amazing opportunity. And I hope that tonight fulfills something in your heart. Maybe it's the burden or the desire to go to another field. And I would say this, that if you have not been to a mission field on a mission trip, that you owe yourself, you owe yourself the privilege of going to a foreign mission field. And if you can't make it to a foreign mission field, you owe it to yourself to be a part of a home mission field. And so tonight we're gonna discover what both look like and how these men and their lovely spouses and children responded to the call of God and said, here am I, send me. So once again, before we get started, I'd like to uh, ask each of our uh, contestants on this panel, not contestants, but participants on this panel, (laughs) because there is no million dollar prize or million dollar question, but there might be a million dollar answer, we don't know. But I'd like to ask each of them going down with Brother Hobson to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and where you were, uh, your experiences that, that you're bringing tonight, and then tell us about where you're at currently. All right, Bill. Bill Hobson, and of course, originally from Calvary Tabernacle, the greatest church on the planet Earth. <laughs> and uh, so it is good Amen. to be home. But I uh, had the awesome privilege of pastoring in Orlando, Florida for 12 years, a very small congregation that God helped us, gave us tremendous growth, and uh, then, of course, the last 10 years serving as the General Secretary for North American Missions with the United Pentecostal Church and seeing church planters all across North America grow and thrive and uh, see lost lost saved. My name is Jim Poitras, and I am the chief recruiter for a major corporation called the United Pentecostal Church International, (laughs) represented in more than 230 uh, nations and territories of the world, was 28 years on the mission field with Sister Poitras there on the front row, and currently serve as the Director of Education and Short-Term Missions for Global Missions. My name is Lyndon Shaw, and I am one of the oldest MKs in existence. (laughs) I grew up on the mission field in the nation of India and then went home to Bible college in the U.S. and pastored, uh, married my beautiful wife and pastored two churches in Canada and became the president of the Bible college in eastern Canada, then went to Sri Lanka as a missionary and then from there to Pakistan and now we currently serve as the regional director for Asia. Well, everybody knows who I am. In January, Brother Galleon, I will have been preaching 65 years. Incredible. Incredible. If I would list all of the countries, we would be here till midnight, (laughs) where I've been and where I've preached. But uh, you all know who I am, and if you don't know, talk to somebody that does know, okay? God bless you. Amen. I'm just hoping to make it to 65 years of age, and I won't preach that long in Jesus' name. (laughs) Hallelujah. First question I have tonight, and this will be for each of you to kind of give some insight on. Um, I think that this is something that all of you would have... uh, some great wisdom to impart. And so that first question would be is, how do you distinguish the difference between a calling to a ministry 
and or a burden for a place or ministry? Is there a difference and what is that difference or what is the significance of that difference? So let me read that one more time. How do you distinguish the difference between a calling to a place or ministry and a burden for a place or ministry? Brother Hobson, you go ahead since you're making all the motions over here. I think that'd be a great Since place. he's from Calvary Tabernacle. He's from Calvary, the homeboy. I thought homeboys go last. So. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to recognize that we all have some type of ministry. And when God begins to speak to you, uh, you do what you are doing where you are at. And God opens those doors but when there is a distinct call for another direction, another place, uh, God will open the doors for those places and those things. And it's important that we don't try to push doors, but let God open the door. And uh, in usually a calling is something that you can't get away from. And uh, after we were asked to come serve in St. Louis, um, I, I resisted and didn't really want, I wasn't interested. I lived in Orlando. Why in the world would I want to move to misery? I mean, Missouri. <laughs> but yet, laying on the floor for about three hours in my office, begging God not to make me do it, I recognized that there was something that God was dealing with me about, and uh, it was something I couldn't get away from. Hopefully that helps. Amen. I should have known that this question was going to come up because it comes up almost every time that there's a question or answer, a Q&A experience. I think if you go back to the biblical perspective, especially if it involves reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we typically are referring to a call. And it is the call to go to a certain area of North America or a certain area of the world, uh, biblically, I don't really see that there's a lot of discussion about a burden, uh, although it's something that we are familiar with as the apostolic church. So there is a burden. Uh, the burden could be general or it could be specific in nature, but a burden isn't necessarily a call to go to a certain location. Uh, so I think that the emphasis from a missions perspective is actually on the word call rather than just on the word burden, that we are called to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me answer this question by uh, a personal example, if you will allow me, and that is when my wife and I felt a call uh, to missions. In fact, I felt a call to missions before I felt a call to preach. Uh, figure that one out. And uh, that's the way it's been my whole life. God seems to do things in reverse. But um, I, I had a burden for missions because I was raised by a missionary, uh, missionary parents that loved missions and had a strong call. My mother had an extremely strong call to India, and I can see why, because without that call, uh, she would not have been able to stay there. That uh, was born in our hearts when I received a call to uh, missions, and primarily to India, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka. And uh, we found out soon that it was 
going to take more than just a burden for that nation as we begin to undergo civil war, civil unrest. Uh, we begin to experiencing, uh, experience bombings and, and all kinds of threats and uh, going to church when there's four uh, police officers standing on the roof of the church with AK-47s. I guess that was in case the angel of the Lord didn't, wasn't there at the particular service. I don't know why. But uh, let me just say that uh, in times of strong difficulty and, and severe persecution, the call of God, we never one time question that this is exactly where we should be. And if I could say this, you are safer in the will of God in Pakistan in the middle of turmoil than you are in the United States out of the will of God. Mm. Wow. One of the uh, famous statements that Brother Sleva always says is exposure heard a vision. Exposure. That's what happened to me. The late Jim Yoey called me on a Sunday night after church. He said, I'm, I'm going to go to West Africa. I said, what, what, how, what does that have to do with me? And I said, I want you to go with me. I was pastoring a church. The, the, the last Easter Sunday, we had 350. Hmm. I was just enjoying the pastoring a church in Southern Illinois. Exposure reads a burden and I was exposed to the need of in West Africa and I have never been the same since amen thank you for those uh, a, a burden and a call I've always looked at it as a, there's a lot of times I have a burden and thank God for iPhones because I've got the spirit of a home missionary and when my wife and I travel across the country every little town we go through I always say, hey, look up, see if there's a Pentecostal church here. Everyone. And she will get on there and look up. There's no Pentecostal church. And I'm like, man, we could start a church here. And uh, I have a burden immediately for that place. But thank God he's never called me. Because I would go to every city I ever drove through. And it would be uh, very tough to plant churches like that. So there's a huge difference, at least in my life. And so thank you for those answers. Let me ask this question. What, what is the one thing or event that has impacted your life in your specific field more than anything else? Start wherever you feel comfortable. Let me try to answer that by this. Uh, I have witnessed tremendous crusades in the most trying of circumstances, difficult conditions. We have seen those, but they have been discussed and the, the news has gone far and abroad. Uh, brother Alan Shaw, my brother, uh, was involved in many of those crusades directly. Billy Cole crusades. We saw miracles. We saw things that we just did not believe we would ever see in Pakistan. It happened. God broke through and we saw wonderful things. Uh, I mean, to the point that the United Pentecostal Church in Pakistan became the worship leaders for all churches for a while because we would drive by a Catholic church on Sunday morning and they're singing in the name of Jesus we have the victory so we knew that there was an impact from those crusades but something one event that has uh, really really impacted my life personally emotionally and uh, mentally in every way was uh, 
is actually the events that take place that have happened, uh, catastrophic, catastrophic events in Asia. I recall the tsunami of 2004 that uh, struck Sri Lanka with a vengeance. I was in Brother Raymond Woodward's church in Canada at, on that day. My wife came in and she tried to tell me, um, she said, Lyndon, there's a, uh, and I said, honey, I'm busy right now. I got to preach at Brother Woodward's church. And she tried to tell me and she tried to tell me. And when I got to church, a whole bunch of people came up to me and said, uh, have you heard, Brother Sham, about the, the horrible tsunami in Sri Lanka? And I went right over to my wife and I said, honey, did you hear about that? She said, I've been trying to tell you all morning. But I was so spiritually minded. Immediately, I, I thought, what are we going to do? And so I uh, was able to book a ticket. It was very, very difficult. And at first, the ticket was going to take me all over the world just to get to Sri Lanka because of that catastrophe. And so finally, God opened the door for us to be able to go there. Of course, many, many thousands perished, but we were able firsthand to go with a team from the United States, and that team was able to impact uh, in so many areas of Sri Lanka. As we journeyed south of the capital city of Colombo, we saw devastation that was beyond belief. The, wall, the walls of water had literally swept over the tops of railway stations, uh, railway tracks for 100 kilometers were just twisted and turned and uh, devastation. Homes were literally gone, uprooted and, and uh, swept out to sea. And uh, as we uh, got about 60 miles south of Colombo, there was a train that had been traveling with many passengers. And when the first wave hit the train, it stopped dead in its tracks, literally. And uh, the second wave hit and by then, all of the villagers from the surrounding villages began to rush because the train was the highest point of elevation. And uh, then the third wave hit, and it drove that train into the jungle. And uh, when the wave swept back out to, sweet, uh, to sea, it took about 1,500 a, a souls uh, that perished from that one event. We were there uh, close enough to the event uh, just a couple of days later, and uh, they had managed to pull the train back onto the tracks. Um, the stench was in the air. Brother Prince Matthias picked up a little clock, that uh, alarm clock that had 921. It had stopped at that moment. That is when the uh, time of devastation had taken place. And uh, one of the brethren from the church in Colombo he went to the locomotive, which happened to be a uh, Canadian locomotive, and he uh, unscrewed one of the bolts off of that locomotive and gave it to me as a, a memory of an event that had truly impacted my life. Uh, we saw thousands of people that were injured. We began to uh, do carry uh, food items, write checks to people. Of course, we went to the household of faith first and tried to help as many of our people, but many uh, were, were dead, many were missing, and so it was that uh, one family uh, had been swept ashore 
First they were swept out to sea, then they were swept ashore, then they were taken up to the second floor of a building, and then a second wave came in and swept them out to sea again, and they were lost. And so we saw things like that, but out of the compassion and compassion services, we were able to start seven churches in the island nation of Sri Lanka due to that um, devastation. Out of the horribleness of that, that moment, God helped us to raise up churches. We saw many, many other acts in Asia over the years, but that one has impacted my life. I will never be the same since that moment. Wow. Amen. I think that one of the most impacting things to me of being on the mission field, if you go to the end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9, there's going to be a time that there are going to be people that are gathered together. They're going to come from every tribe, nation, and tongue. The scripture says that they are going to be an uncountable number. And... Uh, I don't do very well with math. Writing is one thing. Mathematics for me is something that's a little bit more difficult. So when I imagine the uncountable number and I think about what has been most impacting to me on the field, it's simply this. It's reaching people one by one. Teaching somebody that's in the classroom and uh, all of a sudden you see the light come on that that individual understands the oneness of the Godhead. That the individual understands why he was baptized in Jesus' name. Why he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Or to go into a country like uh, Namibia and to give a book that I wrote to an individual there and he held it so closely to his chest as if it was one of the most important things that he ever has received. Or in Nigeria, when somebody would walk into my office and uh, say something about needing the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I would say, well, you can receive it right here in this office. And he kneels down, he lifts up his hands, and just in a matter of minutes, He's speaking with other tongues. To me, that has been the most impacting thing on the mission field would be the relationships that I built one on one. And if that is true for a global missions field, then it's also true to our lives here in the United States that uh, we can have the greatest impact as we teach Bible studies, as we witness one on one. So that's been the most impacting thing to me. A lot of great things have happened. Uh, I met Brother Rodenbush on the mission field, but it goes back to a relationship that has developed one-on-one. -on -one. So not just that uncountable number, but uh, knowing that I can reach the uncountable number by witnessing one by one. Over the last 10 years, I'm really not sure exactly how many churches we have started, planted in North America. I know currently there's about 400 NAM, North American Mission Status Churches, about 400 plus daughter works and 200 preaching points, which represent a thousand works in the last five years. Mm -hmm. And yet, when I consider the magnitude of God's provision, 
many times when we are called, there is a fear element that says, how are we going to pay for this? How is this going to happen? How am I going to? And there's all types of questions that come to mind. And, and the Bible does tell us to count the cost. And yet, the miraculous provision of God and God's willingness to wait on us to ask him to do the impossible. It seems like always when we do what we can do, God will let us do that. But if we will simply do what only we can do and never be willing to step beyond what we have the capability of doing, sometimes God just simply says, okay, if you're comfortable that's okay. But when we allow God to simply be God and we pray God-sized prayers and we do things that we're not capable to accomplish on our own, God always, always shows up to show out himself. Just this past weekend, I had the privilege of being in Tucson, Arizona and there with Brother Paul Connor, who pastors a great church there and their four or five daughter works that they've established. One of their daughter works, I was with their pastor this past Sunday, Brother Salcedo, just really two and a half years ago. During COVID, they were starting a daughter work. Now, that's not a really good time to start a daughter work. In 2020, when no one is doing anything, the chaos of it all, it seems like an impossible feat. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Brother Sosito, God blessed them with the opportunity to lease a building. And they, they did. It was a tremendous battle. It was, took some time. We don't have time to talk about all the details associated with that. But at one point, he didn't feel like he was going to even be able to lease a, uh, uh, lease a piece of property to have church. And yet, through the process of it all, when COVID happened... This church that they finally were able to release uh, began to falter. They approached them and said, we're going to have to sell this building. Brother Salcedo said, well, we, we would be interested. How, how much would you, you think you would sell this for? Now, the building, it's about a half a million dollar building. And for a young church plant, that's an that's a unsurmountable amount. And yet, as they prayed and believed God, Sosito said that the pastor approached him and said, you know, we really want to sell this building to you. And, you know, I feel like they, they kind of looked at the price and said, you know, we, you know, maybe $100,000 is what we've been talking about. And he said, I about leaped out of my chair when they said 100. I, I felt like we, we might can do that. He said, but I, I kept my composure a little bit and just looked at the pastor, as they were saying, 100000 The pastor said, but I got checked whenever they said that amount. And he thought, oh boy, here it goes. She said, but you know what? I, I, I'll have to, I, I'm just not sure that 100000 is the right amount. In January of 21, or, the, or actually January of 22 this year, that church closed on that piece of property for the grand total of 20 <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But this past Sunday, Brother Salcido said to me, he said, but you know, he said, it may have cost us 20, but 
just a few weeks ago, somebody from that little assembly came and visited us in church and said, I like what you're doing with the children's ministry here. Here's some money and handed an envelope with $2,000. So now they're helping pay the bills too. I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter how impossible it may seem. It doesn't matter how far fleeting and far fetching it is. When God shows up, he always does what is impossible for us to do. Wow, that's incredible. Elder, would you like to add anything? Amen. So here's another question. This one's a little more serious. Um, and, and maybe if, if all of you don't want to answer, maybe just one or two. Um, but here it is. What's the most difficult time in your life to trust the Lord? And has he ever been silent in those most difficult times? Okay. I was a single pastor trying to plant a church. And uh, I didn't have a car, so I was hitchhiking. Once in a while I was hitchhiking, and once in a while my mother would let me borrow her car. And so I was attending... Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. And uh, one time I was hitchhiking. You, you, you shouldn't do that today. <laughs> Please don't do that today. But back in the, the 50s, late 50s and early 60s, you could do that. So I, a, a man, a, a Baptist pastor, I knew, I knew he was a Baptist pastor. He was one, when I, in one of my classes and he said, Bob, where are you going? He stopped and I, he said, where are you going? I said, I'm, I'm going to Cutler, Illinois. He said, Cutler, that's where I pastor the Baptist church. So I was riding back and forth with him on Friday and back on Carbondale on Monday morning. And uh, the, the two people that I started that church with, I was staying with them and uh, Brother Dennison said, uh, "Brother Bob, who who is that? Who is that man that's bringing you back and forth?" I said, "It's the Baptist pastor, Brother Dennison." Oh, the Baptist pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a couple of weeks later, I saw uh, a 1941 Chevrolet sitting in their driveway. They, neither one of them had a car and neither one of them could drive. So I thought, well, they've got company and the Baptist pastor said, uh, I'll, I'll pick you up on Monday morning. I said, okay, fine, that's good. And so I, I, I walked in and I said, Brother Dennison, wh- where's your company? He said, I, I don't have any company except you. And he handed me a, a, a car key and an insurance card, and he said, Brother Bob, I don't want you riding back and forth with the Baptist pastor. This is your car. God will always provide if you just trust him enough. Amen, amen, amen. So, another story. I'm driving back and forth now, and uh, times were kind of... uh, tight. I mean, even though gas was like 25 cents a gallon, <laughs> still 
a dollar would go a long way. So I knew that I was close on a Sunday night. I knew I was close to empty because I had, I had to make a couple trips on Sunday afternoon to visit some sick people. And so um, I, I knew that they were going to give me maybe five or ten dollars, something like that. And so Sister Dennison, after church, everybody was gone, and Brother and Sister Dennison were there, and Sister Dennison was the treasurer, and she said, uh, Brother Bob, the, uh, here's, your, here, here's your part. It was like $12 and some cents, and well, I'm just thinking, wow, that's great. Man, I'm going I'm to get gas, and I'm going to be able to go back to Carbondale. And she said, but now we have the light bill. Oh. Uh, how much is the light bill? It's about $12. I said, well, you better pay the light bill. And then I was, I didn't know how, how in the world I was going to get there. But I just got to the car and, and then Sister Dennison, no, you got to come back. Uh, there was a lady that was attending the church once in a while her husband was really sick. He was on oxygen. And uh, so they, she said, uh, Brother Sim wants you to come by and pray for him. I said, okay. So I went to Willisville, which was about five or six miles away from Cutler. I, I, know, I had no idea. I mean, the gas gauge was on empty. And in those days, on Sunday, most gas stations were not even open. And uh, especially in rural Illinois, southern Illinois. And so uh, I prayed for Brother Sim and Sister Margie. Give me a, a cup of hot tea. And I don't drink coffee. You know that already. Yeah. Um, so... Um, We had prayer, and I was getting ready to leave, and I, I was out, out on the porch. Oh, uh, Brother Bob, wait, 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 wait. So what in the world is going wrong now? She said, this is my tithes. Wow. $30. My part would be $10. But how am I going to get gas? So I, I, it was about 13 miles to Pinckneyville, Illinois, and there was one gas station that was blinking their lights when they were getting ready to close. And I pulled in, and I filled up for $3.33. <laughs> Welcome to the 21st century. God will always provide if you trust him all the way. Amen, amen, amen. Anyone else want to share? My folks, when they went to India, were not guaranteed a monthly uh, salary from back home in the missions department. It was, it was a kind of a half promise that we will try our best to send this to you. And uh, in India, of course, you could not work. And uh, mom and dad went to India at a time when uh, there was a lot of starvation. People were literally eating the leaves off of trees. It was a 
quite a, a trying time. But they, um, my mom took to praying, and every month she would she would pray. Sometimes the the money would not come in from headquarters for the first month, and then the second month, and by the third month, she was really intense in her praying. She would really seek the face of God, and how exciting it would be when we would see the postman walking in uh, the long driveway in our yard in India, and he may have seven or eight parcels on his back. And so we would excitedly open them, and mostly they were food items and food that was not eaten by the normal Indian person, so they would not even want to confiscate it at customs. But uh, we were so excited, and I remember one box that mom opened, we were thrilled. She said, boys, we got Kool-Aid. It says Kool-Aid on the outside. And of course, for us, that was just uh, anything. Coke didn't exist over there. And so to get Kool-Aid was wonderful. She tears open the box, and uh, here's the Kool-Aid. Uh, 72 packages of Kool-Aid, all of it orange. <laughs> and she ripped open another box, and it was around Christmas time. Some church had been so thoughtful to send some uh, toys and gifts to the three small boys that were over there in India. And so my brother, I remember he got something really cool. My younger brother, he got something really cool. And I don't know, they thought I was a girl or something. They gave me a mirror and a brush and a comb. (laughs) And I will never forget that. But God never did forsake us. And we always did have something to eat on the table. Hey man, we're, we're about ready to close, but uh, one more question. This is another serious question as well. It said, what do you do when the path in your mission was uncertain? What do you do when the path in your mission or in missions was uncertain? Sean, why don't you start us out on that? Well, as, as usual, I am, generally speaking, and... Uh... <laughs> When Sister Shom and I uh, started deputation, we were bound for India. We deputized a whole first deputation to go to India. And about one month out, we uh, were informed and, and through investigation and studies of the visa system and what was available, we were not going to India. There was no chance. And so we really began to pray about it, and we felt such a peace because out of the blue, Brother Prince Matthias from Sri Lanka invited us to come to to, uh, Sri Lanka. You know, this whole thing was uncertain, and it's very difficult to deputize when you're uncertain, but yet you have to convey a positive message of your burden to the churches you're visiting. And so began the plans to uh, pack up, And, of course, in in Sri Lanka, they only gave a one-month tourist visa. My wife and I, and, of course, this, Brother Poitras, if you would just close your ears right now, and, Brother, uh, you know, any board members in here from, because the way that we went to Sri Lanka, it just literally violated all the norms of how you get to a field. And so we packed up whatever stuff we had into four boxes, wooden crates, And uh, I borrowed my uh, brother-in-law's little Ford Ranger pickup truck. We crossed the border and drove all the way to New Orleans, which I later found out was pronounced Nolens. And so we got down there and we loaded our shipment onto a ship to go to Sri Lanka 
it was going to take more than a month to get there. And our visa for one month was already going to be expired by the time that shipment arrived in Sri Lanka. So you can see the logic of this. And uh, my wife and I arrived in Sri Lanka and uh, our shipment was waiting for us. And uh, we were issued the one month stamp at the uh, point of entry. We were excited about that. In fact, we were so excited that we started plans and we enrolled our son in the international school for studies. One month visa, keep that in mind. And so I went out and I bought a Sheaves for Christ vehicle for one month. And uh, it was amazing because Brother Matthias came along and he knew the system. And so he went into the, the dealer and he said, look, I brought this this missionary in here to buy this car, you need to give me a commission for that. And so the man said, sure, why not? And so he gave him a commission and we bought all the ceiling fans in the new church that we were building. Uh, that's what you call the great commission. <laughs> and, and so we, we, we continued on, but the time came for us to clear our shipment. And I promise you, we went down to, I still remember his name, Mr. Ditu Gemanu. And we went down to his place, uh, and uh, he was the agent who was going to clear our shipment. He, he wrote down all of the items, and of course, everything had been written on the boxes, what was, what was contained inside. We went down to the docks, and uh, we're just praying. I remember we had a good uh, prayer meeting, because our one month was almost done, and our shipment uh, was ready to be cleared. We owned a car already, and we had our son enrolled in school. We had, had rented a, a house there long term. And uh, so this is not how missions is done today, just in case you're wondering. But we went down to the docks, and we took that, that paper, and the man said, you come back tomorrow. And uh, he said, because all of this that you are that you are trying to clear is 100% dutiable. You have a tourist visa. How are you going to clear this? It's 100% dutiable. And so uh, we left. We came back. And he had written in red ink all over our application and the form. The next day when we went back, we met the same officer. He was walking with the form. And there was absolutely no red ink on the form. <laughs> It, it had disappeared, and he said, we are just going to have to take a random search of one of your boxes. And so uh, he just ripped open one of the crates, and uh, my wife had, how long have we been married? Nine years at that time? Nine years we had been married. She had a nine-year-old uh, wedding gift sewing machine. And so he looked at that. He said, this is dutiable. And then he looked at the box, and he went through it, he pulled out a broom. Now, I have no idea why we would take a broom in a crate halfway around the world to sweep a floor over there. But he pulled the broom out, and he said, this is dutiable. And so he wrote down on the list, and we paid $27 duty, and our entire shipment was cleared. It was brought to the house that we were renting, and uh, so God had set us up. It was a miracle because before it was all over, that tourist visa gave us two years and three months in Sri Lanka to do missionary work while Prince Matthias Amen. was home on furlough. God knows how to do it. Amen. I sure Hallelujah. didn't know how to do it. That was one of the most uncertain things in our life.
Amen. Anyone else have something they'd like to add to this? What, what do you do when the path in your mission was or is uncertain? trying to prefer my brethren. Trust. Trust God. If he's big enough to call, he's big enough to equip and open the door. We spend a lot of time worrying about the will of God. And yet, I would believe, and now this is really going to shake some of our theologies, but I believe more than likely the will of God is rarely done on this earth. He said, after this manner pray you, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that, he said every day. It was the will of God that the children of Israel walk out of the promised land and go directly, or excuse me, out of Egypt and go directly to the promised land. But unfortunately, there were a few people that got their eyes on the wrong things. And there was two guys that had to spend the time wandering around the wilderness. Two guys in the Bible that had every right to be ticked off. Are you kidding me? 40 years in the wilderness waiting for an entire generation to die. It was the will of God that I go from A to B. And yet, the Bible said, all things work together for good to them who are called according to his purpose. The will of God may not always be done, but the purpose of God will always be done. And so if I maintain myself in his purpose, I'm gonna be okay. So sometimes things aren't happening in our time, in our way, in our thought pattern, and in our plans. And yet God says, but, but wait, stay in my purpose, and I promise you, all things will work out for good. Mm, wow, what a powerful word. Why don't we just stand to our feet? I, I don't know how you feel right now, but I think we should just end this session in prayer because I think that's such a message for all of us. At times, we get to a place where we don't know what the next step is or what it looks like. But if you haven't heard tonight, I'll tell you what we have heard. We've heard faith and we've heard trust in God and we've heard that no matter what the circumstances look like, God has the ability to bring us through. Look at these men and women that have decided to step out. And it wasn't easy for them when they stepped out and said, God, we'll go to a foreign country. Because that meant to uproot not only their life and their livelihood, but their children. And we know sometimes our, our children pay the price. But I can promise you this, there's no regrets. Because God came through for them, not just once, not just twice. But every time they needed God to do, guess what? He showed up and he showed out, amen? And so if you're here this evening and you, you may not be ready to go to a foreign mission field, but maybe you're at a place where you're saying, yeah, I know what that feels like because I'm facing uncertainty in my future and I don't know the exact path that I need to take. I wanna give you an opportunity as we close it. 
And as we dismiss, I want to give you an opportunity to say, God, I need you to take the circumstances of my life. I feel the presence of the Lord here. Can we just lift our hands? Can we just call out, Lord, we thank you for your touch. We thank you for these words that we've heard of encouragement. And God, even more than encouragement, just a charge to step out in faith and allow you to show us what your plan and your purpose is for our life. I pray, God, that as these missionaries begin to speak, that something stirred every soul and every life that's here, that regardless of what the enemy may have done in our past and regardless of the trials that we may currently face right now, I pray, God, for your strength and your grace and your mercy. I pray, Lord, that you lift us up and encourage us and allow us to see that your hand is there to guide us and lead us through and that, Lord, your grace is sufficient for all of us to trust in you because your grace will never fail. And your mercy is renewed every morning. And God, we give you glory and we give you praise. And we thank you for these men and women that gave their life for the call. And Lord, I pray that you would enable all of us to have confidence to step out in faith and to do what you've placed in front of us to further your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to be advocates of the gospel. And help us, God, to be faithful in the small things as well as the great things. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. Amen. 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 Thank you for being here tonight. If you've enjoyed it, why don't we thank these incredible men and their lovely wives who came to join us. Thank you for being here this evening. Amen. At Calvary Tabernacle Church on Sunday. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and that you're also enjoying or have enjoyed Thanksgiving with your family. One of the dates we want to make you aware of coming up December 9th, again, is our application deadline and our spring preview weekend happening at the end of February. The registration opens the day after Christmas. We hope to see you there.